You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Welcome to part three of our asthma series. Today, we're talking about asthma medication. Originally, when we set out to do this episode, we thought we would cover everything in less than an hour. We were surprised to find out that we only got to about half an hour and we had only talked about inhalers. So our one episode has now become three episodes, so you have lots to look forward to because asthma medication is a beast of a topic and it's really exciting and really interesting. So I'm not going to say much more than the fact that we're going to talk about inhalers today. And we really want to thank Dr. Ratika Gupta for helping us do all of the research on our asthma medication now series in a series. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Hey, Courtney. So today we're discussing asthma therapy. I love this topic because it highlights the advances we've made in the medical community um, with regards to targeted medications and asthma. So I'm really looking forward to this topic. Yeah, you know, I'm excited about this topic too, because this is actually how I learned about the types of asthma through seeing all of the different medications available. So it's a little bit of a backwards way into asthma. And what I found most interesting is that when we think about asthma medication, we think about inhalers, but in fact, there's much more than just the inhaler. Yeah. I mean, so we're using more than inhalers now to manage asthma and it's so exciting to have treatments for our patients that can help beyond what we previously had. And, you know, we probably won't get to the newer medications today um, because it's such a big topic and because all of this stuff is such a, it's just asthma treatment is such a big topic now. So I don't think we're going to get to everything this episode. And I think we're going to have to save some of the like newer things for the next episode. But I think this one's going to be good. That sounds good to me. We'll see how far we get and we'll see how full our brains get. Yep. So let's get started. So the first concept that I think is really important to discuss with asthma medications is the concept of a quick relief medication versus a controller medication. So I have both. I have a quick relief inhaler and I have a controller. And I know that we've talked a lot about quick relief inhalers in both part one and part two of our asthma series. Uh, So I do think we should definitely talk about it. Can I recap it? So if I think about my medication, the quick relief is my salbutamol. And I only take that if I'm having an asthma attack or if I feel one starting. And this generally happens when I'm around animals or in other situations where I'll encounter an allergen. Yep. That's exactly right. So what you said is that a quick relief medication is something that helps us quickly. Um, So this is not a medication that you should ideally use daily. Um, And so you might also hear people call it a rescue inhaler. And essentially, this medication acts on the muscles, on the smooth muscles in your airways, and it helps to loosen those muscles quickly. So they're also called beta-2 agonist medications because they act on the beta receptors on the muscles of the 
airway to help them relax. So really quick, I mentioned an agonist. And so what is an agonist? Well, it's a medication that binds to a receptor and makes it more active. Whereas an antagonist it is, is a medication that would block the receptor from working. So in this case, we want to relax the muscles, which is what happens when you bind to this receptor. So we want to enhance this receptor's actions. So that's why we're using an agonist in this case. Are there asthma medications where one does the other thing? So you have the agonist and you have the antagonist. Are there antagonist asthma medications? Yes. So exactly. So this concept is super basic when we think about medications. So essentially, some medications we use because they enhance the effects of binding to a receptor and other medications we use because they block the effects of binding to a receptor. And it really just depends on what effect we're trying to have. So I'll point all of this out as we discuss these medications throughout this episode and the next episode. Awesome. I find this all super interesting and I basically feel like I'm in med school every time we talk. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear more about that. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, it's fun to try to break all of this stuff up into teachable points. So I'm glad that I have you here to kind of like stop me when I'm getting ahead of myself. So anyway, getting back to beta 2 agonists. So these are short acting beta 2 agonist medications. And there's also something called a long acting beta agonist medications. And we'll talk about that later. And these medications have traditionally been used as controller medications. Again, the quick relief medication shouldn't be used daily. It's only for as needed purposes. And if you're using it daily or more than two times a week for symptoms, then that's a sign that you need a controller medication. Is there a reason why you shouldn't be using the quick relief medication daily? Yep. So that's a really good question. And research shows that people who overuse the short acting beta agonist or the Saba are more likely to die from asthma. There's probably multiple reasons for this. And for this conversation, I think I'm going to keep it pretty simple. Essentially, the first reason that I think is super important is that these patients most likely have uncontrolled asthma and they likely aren't being put on the proper controller medication or aren't using their proper controller medication. They have moderate to severe asthma that's just not controlled. So they're at higher risk of dying from their asthma. And the second reason is that this medication elevates the heart rate and that's not good for your heart on a daily basis. So this might also be a factor of why we see more deaths. And in addition, it might lose some of its effectiveness when it's overused. So there's lots of different theories out there, but essentially it's a sign that things aren't going in the right direction. Whenever you hear death, it's always very scary, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Yeah, we never want to bring up that term in medicine, but it is um, a possibility and it's a definite possibility in asthma. And that's why we're sharing all of this information so that we can reduce that risk for people. But you know, that's it's important to remember those things, but it's also important to remember that we don't want to scare people from using their quick relief medication. When you can't breathe, you have to open up those airways. So you have to use that medication and it's just not good to use on a daily basis. And as we mentioned previously, if you're using your rescue medication or your quick relief medication on a daily basis, that means that there might be some underlying inflammation. And also, you know, I want to point out that there are some new recommendations that are just 
just coming out uh, in something called the GINA guidelines. And it might change the way that we use quick relief medications. Uh, but I don't really want to go into that today because things haven't really changed yet in practice. But once they do, we can definitely update people. So the general take home message is, is that if you're needing to use the quick relief medication often, you have to talk to your doctor. It's a very good reminder. I am a candidate for that. Well, I was. Um, and it's, it's important to remember that you can get your asthma under control. That's really, really like the take home as well as like you can get it under control. So talking about control, can you explain what a controller medication is? So a controller medication is a medication that we would give to patients who show signs of inflammation in their airways. So these medications are essentially for people who have moderate to severe asthma. And um, these ones you would want to use on a daily basis and not on an as-needed basis, which is very, very important to remember. So some patients feel so much better once they get put on a controller medication that then they basically stop using their medication and slowly they're going to start feeling sick again because the inflammation starts coming back again. So it's really important to talk to your doctor before making any decisions to stop any of your medications. And this is one of those medications that you really need to remember that for. I think it's actually quite easy for people to stop taking medication because they feel better and they sometimes don't make the correlation. And I think a lot of people are hesitant on taking medication, so I can totally see that. But yeah, you're right. It's so important to have that discussion with your doctor and to not take it on yourself because you aren't a doctor. <laughs> um, so would they need to take the medication for the rest of their lives? Or how do we know when they can stop or lessen the amount taken if they are feeling better? So great question. So and great points, because those are all relevant. You know, people don't like using a bunch of medication. So it totally makes sense that sometimes they might choose to stop them. But What's important is that when we follow up together, we can monitor lung function and see how your breathing tubes look. And we can also check in on your symptoms. And when it seems like you're doing better, what we can try to do is we can try to step down your therapy. And what that means is that we can try to decrease your controller medication and we can see how you do. Yeah, I've heard about step therapy, about stepping down or stepping up. Can you talk a little bit more about the two of them? Yeah, so stepping down, as I just talked about is decreasing your medications and stepping up is increasing the medications. So that's why we really want to see patients on a regular basis who have asthma so that we can decide together if it's time to step up and give you more medications because things aren't going well or step down because things are going well and we want to see if your airways are ready to kind of have less medications. So both are really important because we don't want you to be on too many medications and we don't want you to not be on enough. That's why, you know, I really want to emphasize that following up with your doctor before making changes is so important. Yeah, I um, I stepped down. So when I started my controller, I had to take it twice a day. And now I only take it once a day. And my doctor gave me the instructions that if I was seeing changes after the first month of taking it twice a day, I could move on to once a day and monitor that for a week. And then if there were no changes, after just taking it once a day, I could continue on that regimen of just doing it once a day instead of twice a day. Great. Yeah, I do that with my patients too. kind of give like a, a plan and then we'll follow. And then I'm assuming that you're going to follow up once you get to the next set to get to the next set of instructions, right? I know that I 
when I started my controller, I had to take it twice a day and now I only take it once a day. And that's because when my doctor gave me the instructions of when I started, she let me know that I should start the first month taking my controller twice a day. And then after a month, if I was feeling and seeing a difference, I could move on to once a day and monitor that for a week. And then if there were no changes, I could continue on that once a day. Yeah. So that's great. And actually that's exactly what I do with my patients. I kind of give them an outline for ways that we can kind of decrease their medications and see if it's working so that when they come back, we have something to talk about and kind of figure out if the step down worked or if it didn't work. And so I'm assuming that you're going to go back to your doctor and talk about how things went. Yeah. So last time I saw my doctor, she asked about my asthma and we decided that I would continue on the same medication and the same dose for now. Great. Great. So some people need some sort of controller for a while and then they can step down and come off of therapy. And some people aren't able to come off of their controller medications because their inflammation will just keep coming back. So, you know, it really depends. I wonder if I'm not fully stopping because I encounter so many different pollens throughout the year that I'm allergic to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that might exactly be why your doctor doesn't feel comfortable stopping your controller medication. And you also have a dog at home, which might be contributing. (laughs) But I think that we talked at some point and you said that you might be starting allergy shots. Yeah. So I um, I actually had the asthma symptoms before I got my dog. (laughs) So I'm not going to blame him too much. But yeah, I am going to be discussing allergy shots um, with my allergist this fall. Yeah, so I actually think allergy shots will most likely definitely help you come off of your controller medications because they think that you really just have allergic asthma and the inflammation caused, um, inflammation's mostly caused by the allergens that you're exposed to. Would you say that allergy shots are also part of asthma treatment just beyond just treating allergies? Yeah, absolutely. They can definitely be a part of the treatment plan for patients who specifically have allergic asthma, right? So um, once we test patients and we realize that they have allergies and there's a correlation between the allergies and the asthma symptoms, then they have allergic asthma. And so allergy shots are really helpful in those patients. So, you know, allergy shots work by exposing patients to tiny amounts of whatever it is that they're allergic to. And over time, we increase that amount of allergen with each shot. And gradually, you come up to a dose that we that we found with research is helpful. And once you're at that dose, your body eventually won't react to what you were once allergic to. So you won't, it won't cause that inflammation that's causing your asthma. Huh, that's really interesting. Um, and just to clarify, when we're talking about allergy shots, we're talking about environmental allergens like pollens and animals and not foods, right? Yes, exactly. That's a super important point to make. We do not have allergy shots for foods. This is only for environmental allergens like those pollens that you're allergic to, Courtney, and possibly your dog. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I have to talk to my allergist about the dog because it's probably a little bit of something in there. (laughs) So we'll talk about that. Yeah, you should definitely make sure that they add animals into your shot plan. And allergy shots really do work and they allow people to come off of their um, allergy controller medications. Um, They actually also work for people who have allergies related 
related to their nose and eyes too. So, um, and again, this is um, only really helpful for patients with allergic asthma. So for people who have asthma that's triggered by, that isn't triggered by their allergies, allergy shots obviously won't be helpful. That makes a lot of sense. And that actually puts some more fire in my belly to go and get these allergy shots because it would be really cool if I could come off a controller medication. Yeah. And so what, what kind of controller medication are you on right now? So my controller is called Zenhale. I love the name Zenhale. And I actually looked up what it says on the internet for this episode. So I'm going to read you what I found. And I want to excuse my pronunciation with some of the, these words because they are kind of a mouthful. Um, so this is what I found about my current controller. Momatazone is a corticosteroid with anti-inflammatory effects. When inhaled, it relieves the symptoms of asthma by blocking the release from the white blood cells of substances that are involved in inflammatory reactions in the airways. Formoterol is a long-acting beta-2 agonist. It works by attaching to beta-2 receptors that are found in the muscle cells of many organs and that cause the muscles to relax. When inhaled, it causes the muscles of the airways to relax, helping to keep the airways open and allowing for the patients to breathe more easily. Whoa. So there was a lot of terms that obviously I cannot pronounce. <laughs> so obviously I'm a little bit at a loss of what they mean. And just, you know, this is what I found on the internet. And I think it's a perfect situation to talk about because that's kind of what why we started this podcast is you look up these things on the internet and you can kind of understand them. And now that we've talked about beta two antagonists, I kind of get a, an idea of what one of the medications does. But do you think that you could um, help us dissect what the heck I just read? Because if you guys are like me, I'm like at a loss. And can we talk about what kind of controller medication this is and why I would have to take it? Yes, that was a mouthful. And that's a lot of information. And I'm going to try to break it up a little bit. So you are actually on a combination of two medications. And one of them I already kind of mentioned. Um, so as I mentioned, the quick relief medication also works on the beta-2 receptors. And one of the medications that you're on is a long-acting version of that medication. So the quick relief medication is a short-acting beta receptor agonist, which is called the SABA, S-A-B-A. And the medication that is in your controller medication is a long-acting beta-2 receptor agonist, or a LABA, L-A-B-A. So what that means is that it binds to the receptor and works for a longer amount of time, and it doesn't cause as much of an elevation in your heart rate. So this is one that is okay to use on a daily basis. The short-acting one, or the SABA, works for four to six hours, and the LABA works for about 12 to 24 hours. And the second medication in your inhaler, the mimetazone, is an inhaled steroid. So steroids scare a lot of people because all of these, all of the side effects that people hear about, like weight gain, mood changes, bone issues, and with kids, a lot of parents come in worried about growth issues. But with inhaled steroids, the medication is really only working in the airways. So you don't see these side effects. They aren't affecting the whole body like oral steroids. And as the article you found mentioned, they work by decreasing the inflammation in your airways. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. It was also nice to hear you pronounce everything correctly. <laughs> I mean, these words just like 
make me afraid and I don't even know how to pronounce them. So that makes a lot of sense, actually. The one thing that you mentioned was steroid. So when you have a steroid inhaler, is that really just then targeting the area, area of the airways and nothing else? Yes, exactly. It's only working in the airways and you get very minimal systemic absorption, which means that it's not really getting to the rest of like the rest of your body. So it can't really harm like the bones and things like that. And this type of controller, is it common? Like when would a patient be prescribed something like this and Does this type of controller have a name? Yeah, so this is a common controller medication, but as I mentioned, it's a combination of two meds. So some people can just be on an inhaled steroid medication without the long-acting beta agonist. So this would be for patients that are on the moderate persistent asthma category. And as doctors, we have the option for how we want to do this for our patients. There are different starting points, and some patients like to start with more meds and then gradually step down as the person feels better. And some like to take it slow and start with less medications and then step up if necessary. Does that process, is that dependent on the patient or the doctor's preference mostly? So yeah, so it's really a combination, right? We should always be talking to our patients and figuring out if what they like to do or what they would like to do. Um, But usually I like to do the step down method and make sure that the patient understands that I'm starting them off with a higher dose so that they feel better quickly and that the plan is to decrease their medications over time. So I think that's what your doctor did. So they understand that coming back and checking in is important. Or if I start them lower, I always emphasize that they need to come and let me know if they aren't feeling better because we can always go higher and add on more medications. So either way, follow-up is super important. And if the patient has a preference of one way or the other, we have that discussion too. That makes a lot of sense. And it's nice to hear that you get the patients involved in this process so they can take ownership in their own taking of the medication, essentially. Yep, exactly. And it's definitely important to be on the same page. So let me just recap. We have talked about quick relief medications, which are the short-acting beta-2 agonist, the SABA. And we have talked about two types of controller medications. One is just the inhaled steroid, and the other is an inhaled steroid with a long-acting beta-2 agonist, or LABA. Is there a controller that is just a LABA? Yeah, so there are LABAs by themselves, but they shouldn't be used without an inhaled steroid. So that's because we realized that the long-acting medication by itself without the use of a steroid inhaler was dangerous for people. In some studies, they, they've been linked to life-threatening asthma attacks, but when used with the inhaled steroid, you don't have that risk. One important point that I want to bring up is that because the LABAs and the SABAs help to relieve the symptoms quickly, they can get overused, whereas the inhaled steroids take time to take effect. So even though the LABAs come by themselves, I really prefer the combination medications so that number one, patients don't need two inhalers instead of 10, also so that they don't skip the inhaled steroid and run the risk of having a life-threatening asthma attack from just using the LABA alone. It's really important to note, especially since you can run the risk of forgetting to take both, which sounds like it could be really risky. 
Yeah, I mean, doing it once or twice probably wouldn't do anything, but it's definitely a risk. And honestly, I'm not sure how much the LABAs are being used alone, but maybe if a doctor wants the patient to get less of the LABA and more of the inhaled corticosteroids, or also called ICS, then they might split them up. But I'm not really sure. I've never really prescribed them separately, to be honest. And maybe some insurances don't cover the combination meds in some places, and that's why doctors use them. But for me, um, I haven't really found that to be the case. So I usually prescribe the combination medications. I think it's good to know for patients that they have the option of a combination medication if they are concerned about missing one or the other and they get prescribed two different inhalers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's important to know that they shouldn't use one over the other. And it's important if they've listened to this to know that there are combination medications available. Uh, Yeah, it's good to know. And it's good to know that you have options to discuss with your allergist. So are the only inhalers out there the SABAs, the LABAs, and ICS? Oh, listen to me. I sound like a pro. (laughs) I'm learning so much with all those short forms. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you've got all the short like lingo down. Um, and we have really covered a lot of new terms. So I'm glad that it's all starting to make some sort of sense. Anyway, yeah, so there is actually another type of controller inha- inhaler that we haven't talked about yet. And it's used in our again, moderate to severe asthma patients. And these medications are called the anticholinergic inhalers. And we only have one particular one that's been approved for asthma in the US. And and that's called teotropium bromide. We used this class of medication for COPD originally, but several years ago, it got approved for asthma too. Yeah, it's really cool that medications are used for more than one condition because I feel like that happens quite a lot in asthma. I know that We'll get to it when we get to biologics, but I know that that's the case there as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. When we see that there's a common mechanism causing one disease and then another disease, it leads basically researchers to want to evaluate the medication for the other condition that has the same mechanism of action. So when the research is positive and we get another medication that can help people feel better. So with teotropium bromide, this is particularly another form of a long-acting bronchodilator but it works on a different receptor on the smooth muscle cells and also on the submucosal glands in the airways. So the receptor is called a muscarinic receptor and the teotropium bromide is an antagonist to this receptor. So when we use this medication, we get a reduction in smooth muscle contraction and also because it works on those glands that normally release mucus, when we have this antagonist bind to it, it causes a reduction in the mucus secretion, which helps with asthma control too. What types of asthma are you controlling when you prescribe this kind of inhaler? So we use this in any moderate to severe asthmatic, just like the ICS and the ICS-LABA combos. And they don't have to have allergic asthma or eosinophilic asthma in particular, but they just have to meet the definition of moderate to severe asthma. Uh, Just to clarify, you can be prescribed one of the three if you have moderate to severe asthma, and for all of the three types, it is not dependent on having a specific type of asthma, right? <laughs> That's, that was like a tongue twister, your question, but yes. So the first question, see, you said, um, yes, you can be prescribed one of the controller medications, or actually you can be prescribed all three of them if you have moderate to severe asthma at the same time. So some of my patients are on an ICS-LABA and also on a 
teotropium bromide inhaler at the same time. So your second question was, can you use those three types of medications in any type of asthma? Exactly. So it doesn't matter which type of asthma you have for those three types of controller medications. So the ICS, the ICS lava, or the teotropium bromide can be used in any type of severe to moderate asthma. Okay, that makes sense. I feel, <laughs> yeah, my question was obviously like me trying to really make sense of it all because I guess I came into this thinking that one type of asthma would have one type of controller, but it's not that way. So I'm just wrapping my head around it. So thank you for clarifying that. So no, thank you for clarifying that for me, because, you know, I know this information in a totally different way. And so sometimes you, it's helpful for you to kind of stop me when I get ahead of myself. So that being said, I think we've talked about a lot of things already. We've talked about different forms of inhaled controller medications and the quick relief medications. There is still a lot more to discuss on asthma treatment. And so I think this is a good stopping point for us. Yeah, I agree. I think it's good to stop here because we can go on, but there's a lot of information to take in already and we want to have fresh brains to continue on. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So until next time, guys, the asthma series is continuing. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know, or check out our website, which is www.itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.